Greatest Point, how are we doing today? We doing okay? Awesome. So great to be here with you. And if you are joining us online, just want to say hello, as well as to everybody at all of our other campuses, everybody here at our Northwest campus. It's great to be here. And if you are just checking us out, maybe it's your first time either coming through our doors or watching us online, you picked a great time to join in because right now we are going through a series on Luke. And if you're not familiar with Luke, Luke is a book in the Bible. It's in the New Testament and it's about the life of Jesus. You may be saying, well, if it's about Jesus, why in the world is it titled Luke? <laughs> Fair question. Uh, Luke is actually the author, okay? And Luke went to great lengths to investigate and to research and to interview eyewitnesses. And he reported all of his findings and, and everything about who Jesus was and who he interacted with, the miracles that he performed, and even what he said. And where we picked up last week was Jesus has just come down off of this mountain and he chooses 12 of his closest followers. He calls them disciples. And he says, hey, I'm going to let you guys in on some key information. Okay, I'm going to give you the inside scoop. I'm going to let you know that I'm establishing this new community, this kingdom. And this is how you guys are going to live as my kingdom. I'm going to give you some counter-cultural values. And he starts talking about all these things. And he makes some pretty radical statements up to this point, okay. Uh, and, and what we're going to look at today is actually one of the wildest statements that Jesus has ever made. Like I want you to think about a time in your life where maybe you know somebody, a family member or a friend, a spouse, who just said something so unbelievably crazy, something so off the wall that you actually like question the state of mind that they were in. They were like, you're like, how have we been friends up to this point with you talking like that? Should I continue in a relationship with you up to, to, to this point? It's something that, like that, like some, that type of, of statement, something wild, something crazy. And you may actually be sitting next to that person right now. Just please don't look at them. Um, <laughs> trying to spare you a conversation on the ride home. Um, no, but this statement that Jesus makes is that kind of statement. And what makes it so crazy is that it wasn't just any kind of statement. This was an imperative statement. Now, for those of us who checked out during this portion of English class, or maybe just English wasn't your thing, an imperative statement is an instruction. It's a, a command, okay? And Jesus is going to give probably the wildest command known to man. And it can be found in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn there. And as you're doing that, I just want to pose a question to you, something for you to think about. And this is the question. What is something that you have a limit on? What is something that you have a limit on? Now, this can be an external limit, right, and a limit that's placed on us, like a credit card, or if you're a student here, maybe it's curfew. Um, maybe it's screen time. I don't know if you have that setting set up in your, in your phone and you're like me where you're just enjoying some good old social media and you're, you're browsing through, and then all of a sudden you get this notification like, hey, buddy, get a life. Get off your phone. No, just me? Oh, okay. Um, this could be external or it can be an internal limit, right, where it's like food consumption, where it's like, hey, I'm not going to eat that extra piece of cheesecake tonight, or I'm not going to eat past 7.30 p.m., or it could be around our speech where we say, hey, I'm not going to say that. You would call that a filter. Some of us are still trying to figure out what that is, but, hey, it's okay. But for me, I thought that I had a limit recently, and it was around heights. Now, I would not classify myself as somebody who is afraid of heights. There's just certain activities involving heights that I just really don't do. Until about a week ago where I was talked into rappelling down a 17-story building. 
in downtown Indianapolis. I'm still trying to figure out how I got here, okay? And the crazy thing is I look happy here. I'm smiling. But inside my stomach is like doing flips. And what's crazy is I look over to my, my right, and believe it or not, our lead pastor is actually rappelling down with me. He's next to me. And Aaron, he's like doing actual flips on his rope. He's like such a daredevil. He's trying to figure out how he can go down the building without a rope. You know, he's like placing bets like, hey, Riley, who can get down here first? Like, let's, 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 let's race. And I'm like, no, I just want to get down safely, okay? But no, I confidently thought that I had a limit until I was pushed over it, literally. <laughs> And all of us have limits. We all know what limits are. They are what causes us to go up to a certain point, right, before we say, I'm going to stop or I'm going to withhold or retreat. So what's something that you have a limit on? Because we all have them. God actually gave his people some limits in the Bible. He gave them some healthy guardrails where he said, hey, I want to protect you and I want to benefit you. We would call them laws. And so what we're going to look at today is there's actually something that God has instructed us not to place a limit on. And what I think we'll find is that all of us have a tendency to actually put a limit on this, and it keeps us from living the life that God has called us to live. All right, so we're going to look at this crazy command that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 6. Did I give you guys enough time to get there? You guys ready? All right, let's do it. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, here it is. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Now, as I was reading this this week and studying it, initially what didn't even just stand out to me wasn't the, necessarily the love your enemies portion. It was how Jesus started the whole thing, okay? I don't know if you caught it, but he says, but to you who are willing to listen. And so I just imagine him like, hey, guys, come on, disciples, bring it in, focus. Matthew, woo over here, yeah. Focus, lock in. James, stop talking to, to Judas. He doesn't care about me anyways. I wish I could tell you why. I'm not going to spill the beans just yet. But, hey, focus in, listen to me, because what I'm about to tell you is going to change the game. And moreover, what I started thinking about is what the whole disciples' perception of what this movement actually was, who they thought Jesus was because to them, their view of the Messiah was somebody who was going to come in and dominate, somebody who was going to overthrow the regime and the empire of Rome. Like they thought he was coming in to kick some Roman tail and take some names, Rambo style, and they were here for it. They're like, let's go. So if I could just like paint the scene of like how I envision this going down, Jesus has come down off the mountain, he chooses his disciples, he's like, yeah, this is how my kingdom is going to be. And Peter is sitting there sharpening his sword, just like ready for the action, right? And Jesus, he's hearing Jesus talk about these countercultural values. He's hearing him talk about how God blesses the poor and the hungry and those who mourn. And Peter's like, that's kind of odd, but I'll go with it, I guess. It's only a matter of time before he calls us into action, all right? And then he hears it. He hears, but you who are willing to listen. And Peter's ears like perk up. And his, like, big grin comes across his face, and he's like, all right, here it is. It's time. He's about to tell us to grab our weapons, load up, and ride out on some Romans. And, and Jesus says, but to you who are willing to listen, and he would have everybody on the edge of their rocks at this point. Everybody's leaning in, and it's so quiet that you could hear a pin drop. And then Jesus says it, love your enemies. I just imagine, like, jaws on the floor eyes wide, people scratching their heads, some of them maybe even laughing, like, yo, what did he say? Yo, yo, John, Johnny boy, yo, did you hear what my man just said? He said, love you. Is he serious right now? 
Like, I can only imagine if their reactions were emojis, it would probably look like this. Like, a whole ray of emotions. Mind blown. Some people laughing. Some people angry. Some people don't know what to do with what he just said. It would have been all across the board. But here's why. They would have been thinking about a common Jewish teaching that was taught throughout the synagogue. And it came from Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19. This is a command that God gave Moses hundreds of years ago for the people of Israel. And this is what he said. He said, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The disciples would have learned this in like Jewish elementary school. And they would have held on to it because it was commonly taught by the rabbis in the synagogue. It was taught with good intentions. It was taught as a law. But what initially was given as a guideline over time started to become a limit. And they began to categorize their neighbors and their enemies. And and they said, hey, my neighbor is my fellow Israelite. You know, the person who uh, is my neighbor, who is uh, another Jew, and I'm only going to love them. I'm not going to, to love anybody outside of them. Anybody outside of my neighbor is unworthy of my love. And here Jesus comes on the scene and he says, hey, hey, no, these categories that you created, neighbor and enemy, there are no more categories. I want you to take the limits off. There is no more limited love. I want you to take off the limits. And I believe that we have the same disposition today. This isn't unique to the disciples' time. We all have these moments or these periods where we say, hey, I'm only going to love up to this point. I'm only going to love this type of person or this group of people or in this circumstance. And God is telling us, hey, I want you to take the limits off. So as we hear that, my question then is, who is it for you? Who is that person, or maybe it's a group of people, right, who you've said, yeah, I just cannot love them. And more importantly, why? Is it because they dislike you, or is it because you hate them? But I think it's important that we look at some characteristics in order to be able to to, to classify who our enemies actually are. Let's take a look at what Jesus actually said. Again, he said this, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. So what do you notice about this? That we are on the receiving end of the treatment, right? We're not on the giving end of of the mistreatment. And so I can't tell you personally who your enemy is, but what I can tell you is that Jesus has not called us to hate or curse or hurt anyone. And if we do, as followers of Jesus, find ourselves developing this in our heart, we got to do something about it. Because even in 1 John, it talks about, hey, if you hate your brother or sister, you are a murderer at heart. The Bible puts murder and, and hate on the same level. And you may be listening to that and say, that's kind of extreme. But I think what God wants us to know is that he doesn't categorize sin. So what we do as followers of Jesus, when we start developing this in our heart, which will happen, because we're human, we got to take that to God and we have to ask him to remove that junk that's, that's there in our heart. Because only he can help us to repent and to forgive. But as it turns out, when it comes to our enemies today, this is what I want us to take away. Because there's still some, some ambiguity around this. Like, who is my enemy? Jesus wants us to know this. Your enemy isn't someone that you hate. It's someone who chooses to hate you. Your enemy isn't someone that you hate. Your enemy is someone who chooses to hate you. And what I love even more 
is that Jesus doesn't give this nebulous command to just go out and to love your neighbor. He doesn't leave it up for interpretation. He's like, hey, if you need me to be practical, if you want me to get down into the weeds, I'm going to go even further. Listen as I continue to explain what this looks like. He goes on in the next verse to say this. He said, if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Now, I'm just going to be honest and say all of us have parts of the Bible that we read and we're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm with that. Like, Jesus, turn the other cheek. Are you talking like literally or is that figurative? Like, what does that really mean? And for some of us, when we were growing up, we didn't hear turn the other cheek from our parents. It was quite a different conversation, right? It was something different that we were hearing. All I'm saying is that if you came home from school one day and said, Mom, little Timmy hit me at recess, there was a little different question coming from your mom. And it wasn't, are you okay? It was, did you hit them back? Did you hit them back? Listen, I'm not advocating for violence. All I'm saying is that Luke chapter 6 was missing from some of our parents' Bibles back in the day. That's all I'm saying. And even if you're sitting there and you're like, I can't really resonate with that. I've never been in a physical altercation before. You can resonate with the fact that we all have things that get under our skin, right? Things that cause us to be on edge. Things where we, it's just so hard for us to exhibit restraint and self-control. And each and every one of us have that one person in our life, right, who knows just the right thing to say or which buttons to press to get us riled up. Again, you may be sitting next to that person. Please don't look at them, but you know that they're there. But I think what's important for us to take away from this is that how we respond in these situations is an indication of who we follow. All right, I'm going to say that again. How we respond in these situations is an indication of who we follow. And before I unpack what Jesus is actually trying to say when he talks about turn the other cheek and give your shirt, I think it's important that I clarify what Jesus is not saying. So when he says these things, what Jesus is not saying is he's not calling us to be passive, okay? It doesn't mean that God does not want us to protect ourselves or our loved ones from any hurt, harm, or danger. Secondly, and this is very important, God is not advocating that you subject yourself to any kind of abuse in a relationship, okay? Don't take this as permission to allow yourself to be treated that way or to receive any type of verbal or physical or even emotional abuse ever. Next, God is not saying that we compromise um, by tolerating any type of, of sin. He's saying, hey, you can love those who hurt you, and those who you disagree with without validating their decisions and their behavior. And lastly, uh, what God does not mean by this is it doesn't mean that God is not a God of justice, okay? We see all throughout the Bible that God is a God of justice, that God's heart breaks for those who have been oppressed. God's heart breaks for those who have been marginalized and mistreated. God's heart broke during American race-based chattel slavery. It broke during Jim Crow. It, it broke during the Holocaust. It broke during apartheid. And it continues to break as people are mistreated today. So don't confuse that for any type of, of, of feelings that God does not care about justice because he does. But what I want you to understand, even in that, is God says, yes, I care deeply and passionately about those who have been offended during these acts. But get this, 
he also cares deeply and passionately about the redemption and the restoration of those who are doing the mistreatment. And that's what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. He's saying, hey, you guys are getting ready to experience some mistreatment. And how you respond is going to make all of the difference. And even as I'm saying that, I can see some of you guys are like, yeah, but I'm still not there. Like, you just don't know. Some people got these smart mouths, and it makes it very hard for me not to say something back. I'm nice, but I'm not that nice of a person. And I hear you. But can I just tell you that Jesus is not calling us to be nice people. His, his purpose behind that was something a lot much deeper. There was a purpose behind it, and it was to demonstrate the heart of God. And this is what I think Jesus was trying to get us to understand. That love is not based on a feeling. Okay? Love is not based on a feeling. It is based on action and attitude. And if you've been married for longer than six months, you can say amen to what I just said, right? <laughs> because you remember that moment where you were standing at the end of the aisle and you guys were gazing into each other's eyes and the, your heart was fluttering. You had the little tingles in your stomach, right? And then what happened? You got home. A couple months go by. And then you know that the tingles ain't always there. And you have to learn how to love even when you don't feel like loving. You may say, Kyle, that doesn't sound very genuine. That doesn't sound authentic. And this is what I will say. But it's biblical. <laughs> okay. Because all we have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus was in a garden the night before he was getting ready to be crucified, praying to his father. Hey, father, if there is any other way that we can make this happen. If there's any other way that we can save them without it requiring me to go to a cross and absorb your wrath, please, I'm willing to do that. Right? Let this cup pass from me. And what that tells me, that Jesus wasn't feeling it in the moment. But he still did it anyway. And it doesn't mean that he didn't love us. Exact, in, in, in actuality, it magnified the love that he has for us. So what Jesus is trying to say is that if the only time that you exhibit love is when you feel like it, or when you feel that people deserve it, then that's not true love. And I think what is remarkable is that the disciples heard this and they believed him. They ran with it. The first century church would go on to experience some of the most brutal forms of persecution. And it was their love that transformed the hearts of the oppressors because Jesus said, hey, I want you to love the very people who are going to hurt you, mistreat you, and harm you. But I think the key difference, one of the problems is what the disciples took as a command, we take as a suggestion, right, a recommendation. This is what Jesus recommends in order for us to be good people. Uh, we take it as it's about morality. Maybe growing up you heard that golden rule that we had, had just read that, you know, do to others as you would want them to do to you, right? Treat others the way that you wanted to be treated. And it was cute in the moment, right? It was cute when you were, you were young and, and, and then you grew up, right? And you stepped into a real world that said nice guys finish last. And then what happened? It wasn't so cute anymore, right? But I think the problem was that we never, uh, it never took root because we were never given the why behind it. And when it's, we weren't given the why behind it being Jesus, then it becomes about morality. It becomes about being a, a good person, a better person. And when it becomes about morality, then it becomes about us. And when it becomes about us, then love becomes self-centered and conditional rather than selfless and sacrificial. And we spend our time trying to become better people rather than surrendered people. Okay? And so I want you to, to understand this. If I can put it this way. Our problem in following Jesus 
many of us, is that we're trying to be a better version of us rather than a more accurate reflection of him. A better version of us rather than a more accurate reflection of him. Can I just tell you that God is not calling us to live an easy life. That's not what the Bible is about. It's not a how-to manual on how to become a better person. Christianity is not self-help. It's self-sacrifice. And so as followers of Jesus, we say, hey, I fully surrender my life to you so that I can be a reflection of you so that I can expand the boundaries of your kingdom. And when I do that, I can look my enemies in the face and I can say, you can withhold your love from me, but you can't withhold God's love from me. And because you can't withhold God's love from me, I'm not going to limit my love for you. And as Jesus is saying this, he wants us to understand, I actually want to use you the way that you love to change the world. It has the capacity to change the world because guess what? The rest of the world, they already harbor hate. They already seek revenge. But I'm calling you as this new community to be different. Look at what he goes on to say in the next verse. He says, if you love those who love you only, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Jesus is saying, hey, as this new community, I'm calling you to live a radically different life. I'm calling you to be so anchored in me that my love transforms you from the inside out. And not only transforms you, but those who are around you. And as you do that, others will see it. And then they'll begin to question, how can you do that? How can you love somebody who doesn't love you back? And so then my question is, imagine if we began to actually love like this. What do you think it would look like if we no longer placed these categories or these boundaries around our love? That person um, who uh, maybe in the future who's going to uh, say something behind your back. What if you actually bought them coffee and took them out to lunch and had a conversation with them and they actually got to, to know you? What if that classmate who ends up uh, spreading gossip about you or saying some things that aren't true, what if you actually sent them a DM? And a DM is a direct message for those who are 45 and, and above. Um, <laughs> and you actually say, hey, that hurt what you said, but it's not true. But then you actually begin to give them some words of encouragement and, and bless them in the name of Jesus. It would confuse the mess out of them, okay? What if that person who hurt you years ago and you haven't been able to let go of it, what if you actually prayed for them? Now, I mean like really prayed for them, truly prayed for them. What if that family member who you always get into it with over politics, you know, the one that you're dreading seeing in a couple of weeks for Thanksgiving, what if this year you actually made their plate, you fixed their food, and you did it without over-seasoning their mashed potatoes with salt? Don't do that. <laughs> and as you gave them that plate, you sat down and you just had a conversation, and you began to empathize, at least try to hear them out. And you asked more questions than you gave statements. This is what Jesus wants us to do when he talks about loving our enemies. It's loving when we don't feel like actually loving. I want you to think of that person who you already determined in your mind is impossible to love. And God is saying, yeah, them. I want you to love them. I want you to bless them. I want you to pray for them. 
Because what we do in that moment, this isn't us just being nice people, okay? I'm not telling you to, to be a nice person. I'm actually telling you to help people see Jesus. We're talking about eternity here. Because as we do that, we exhibit the heart and the compassion and the love of Jesus. And we help to, to transition people's, the trajectory of their eternity right now. And it becomes less about us and more about him. Because if you don't hear anything else that I say in this message, I want you to understand this. Limited love points people to us, but limitless love points people to Jesus, and that's what he wants us to understand. So in the remaining time that we have together, I just want to give you three directives that you can take to God in prayer this week, things that you can do to help you live this out. And here is the first one. The first thing that I want to ask you to do is to ask God to help you love through the Holy Spirit, okay? And here's why this is so important. Because this kind of love, it's not natural, okay? It's supernatural. It goes, everything, it goes against everything that our, our nature craves and desires. We naturally seek revenge, okay? If you don't believe me, all you got to do is ask my kids. They are four and two. And I didn't have to teach them how to get revenge. They're just naturally good at it. Like if the four-year-old takes a toy from the two-year-old, you best believe the two-year-old is coming back with some vengeance. The two-year-old's like, all right, I got you. I'll see you at arts and crafts time. Watch. I'm taking a Sharpie across your Elsa painting. You just watch. Watch. They're good at it. They, I didn't have to teach it to them. They just know how to get revenge. And as adults, let me just say that we are not much different. That's why it is so important for us to lean into the Holy Spirit in order for us to love like this. I actually love what Paul says in Galatians. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Paul will go on to, in this passage, give uh, the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine of them. Love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And let me just tell you, each and every one of those are required for us to love our enemies. Okay? The second thing that I want to, to, to give to you is this. Ask God to change the way that you see people, including your enemies. Listen, we withhold our love from our enemies because we disconnect them from humanity. And we have to remember that each and every person is someone that God created and Jesus died for, including our enemies. So what we have to do is we have to take that to God and say, hey, God, could you help change the way that I see people? Help me to, to see them the way that you see them. And when we do that, he begins to give us a heart of compassion and empathy and mercy and love. I actually love this, this quote by pastor and author Rich Velotis. He says this. He says, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Listen, we can't love people effectively if we don't see them as people who need God's love. And we can't effectively show that love if we forget that we too need God's love. Which leads me to the third directive that I want to leave with you today. Ask God to remind you of the grace that you have been given. Ask God to remind you of the grace that you have been given. You know, I think that we, uh, we often get a case of amnesia when it comes time to administer grace and mercy. We tend to forget just how patient God has been with us, how much love he has shown us. And we have to remember 
that we are no better than those who hate us. And we have to remember that the only way that we can be compassionate is because we know just how compassionate God has been with us. And Jesus makes that very clear as he goes on in that passage in Luke to say this. He says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And I think what happens a lot of times is that we look at a line like this where he says, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And we say, wow, that's, that's a little unfair. How could God be kind to those who are evil? How could he be kind to those who are unthankful and Wicked. That doesn't sound like a very just God. It doesn't sound like a very fair God to me. But can I just tell you something? I'm going to get very personal for a second. The unthankful and the wicked, that's me. That's not my enemy. My enemy is not the unthankful and the wicked. I am the enemy. We all were God's enemies. Paul makes that very clear in Colossians chapter 1. Look at what he says. He says, and through him, talking about Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his, say it with me. Enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But then it gets good. Look at what he says next. He says, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and you are blameless. And as you stand before him without a single fault. Can we celebrate that? Because that is good news. He says we were his enemies, but not anymore. So you want to know how I can look at somebody who hates me, somebody who has hurt me, and show them compassion? It's because God looked at me, somebody who wanted nothing to do with him, somebody who rejected him with my thoughts and my actions, somebody who slapped him across the face over and over again with my sin and said, I'm going to be patient with you. In his patience and in his love and his compassion, he showed me mercy and he showed me Jesus. And now God says, hey, hey, I have every right to withhold my love from them, but I'm actually not just going to love those who love me. I'm going to love those who hate me and I'm going to actually prove it by going to a cross and dying for them. Jesus would die for his enemies. But the good news is that as Jesus died on that cross and was put into a grave, he defeated the ultimate enemy because three days later he would rise defeating sin and death. And now he says, hey, I have done everything that is sufficient for your salvation. I proved who I was. I proved that I was God. And all you have to do is believe. There's no way that you can earn it. There's no more striving for it. I've done everything that is necessary to put you in right standing with me. I want a relationship with you, and I no longer see you as an enemy. I now see you as a child 
as my child. And if you are here today or you're watching online and you want to make that decision, maybe you want to start following Jesus, all you have to do is text the word Jesus to 87221 and somebody from our team is going to follow up with you this week and help you take your next steps in your relationship with him. But for all of us, I just want to take a moment and I want to pray. And as I pray, I want to ask everybody here and wherever you are to stand. So would you stand with me as I pray over us? And as I pray, I just want to pray that God would help us to take the limits off. That whatever limits that we have placed on our love, that only through his spirit that he would help us to remove those limits. That whatever it is that is keeping us from being able to love like that, our pride, our ego, our bitterness that his spirit would do such a work in us that we would be able to look at our enemies and say, hey, I don't hate you. I want the best for you. I want to bless you. I want to pray for you. Ultimately, I want you to know this Jesus that I know because that's the way that we change our communities. That's the way that we change our city. That's the way that we change the world one person at a time. So let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your limitless love, God, that while we hated you, while we turned our backs on you, you never turned your backs on us and you modeled what it looks like to show a limitless love. So God, we bring everything to your feet at this point. Everything that is keeping us from loving the way that you have called us to love. Remove every ounce of pride. Remove any ounce of bitterness and ego that causes us to want to retreat and withhold our love from those who need it because we are talking about eternity. So God, I pray that as we do that, that other people would look at us and they would question and say, how could they love like that? How could they love the person who is despising them? How could they love the person who has talked about them? And the only thing that we can do, the only response that we have is to point to Jesus because we care more about their salvation than about our perception. So God, be with us as a church. May everything else fade into the background, fade away as we lift you high so that we can love the way that you've called us to live. And God, may you get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise as we do it. God, we lift everything up to you. It is in your son Jesus' name that we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen, church.